gaggle of geese. More fun than a room full of wombats. Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal Radio Show. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. That's right. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Outdoor Journal Radio, the Halloween edition. Get out of here. The Halloween edition. I love Halloween. That's right. There it is. That's right. Who was the... Uh, Do you know what we... Was it, J- was it Jason or, or Michael Myers? Who was the Halloween? Who Dean, who was the Halloween? Dude? That was Michael Myers. Myers. Yeah. Myers. Do you know what we should have done? And it's too late, unless you can do it in post. I'm going to put pressure on you now. Oh, boy. Pete and I did this great little skit years ago for an ad. The Frankenstein one. Yes. We put that up on on our Instagram. Did we? Yep. Oh, my God. That would have been so perfect right right now, starting this episode. It would have been outstanding. Uh, Welcome to the program. I'm Angela Viola. He is Peter Bowman, uh, the usual... Staff suspects here, Uh, Vova, Dean, and Nick. Uh, We will carry you through this uh, special Halloween episode, special because later on in the program, we'll be joined by an MNRF official. Um, We'll be joining us, Larissa Nittuck will be joining us too. She's a zombie expert. She is a zombie expert. And that's that's why we wanted to bring it here to you, this Halloween edition, because she's going to be talking to us about zombie deer disease. Oh my. That's right. Scary. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, Wonderful program as per usual. Uh, We do uh, want to remind folks that fishingcanada.com and more importantly, the store is uh, open Ooh, and more uh, importantly. all oh, kinds like of good stuff happening the there. there now. I like uh, Halloween, of course, some of the uh, uh, fall stuff is now slowly arriving. Winter stuff is coming soon, so it's going to be a great that's place a good to little be. Fall look yeah. right there, eh? the yeah. little plaid, the red plaid. I some free shipping good. happening. There's all kinds of things. An, an orange, like a pumpkin orange, just for today. That's that one one day special. That would have been pretty cool. That would be cool. If I had your money, I'd do that. Well, yeah, you'd uh, burn yours, wouldn't you? That's right. That's right. Uh, before we get to any of that, we like to hear feedback from folks. We urge you to send us uh, questions. We urge you to send us critique our style, if you will. Uh, send us comments. Send us anything you like, and we will endeavor to read as many of them and deal with as many of them as we possibly can. This one is of particular interest that we need to get out there uh, ASAP. It comes uh, via the Spotify Interact section of the uh, the podcast. And it it's something we wrestle with on a regular basis. Some of us more than others. What are you uh, trying to it, say there? Uh, nothing. It comes to us from Jay. And uh, Jay says, uh, has responded to multiple episodes recently saying that there is enough profanity now to keep him from playing the show with his kids in the car. Oh, my. Thank you. Yes, George, that's correct. So let's deal with that, shall we? Uh, So first of all, I guess from my standpoint, I have to say we try and keep the program as organic as we possibly can. And sometimes things kind of go off the rail and we do wander Mm -hmm. uh, into the cesspool periodically. We don't do it intentionally. 
I don't, I don't think do, do we do it intentionally? No, no. because I'm sure Jay can figure it out that this is a very mild version of Angelo and Pete to begin with. Well, let's talk about that. Because I mean, I, I admit I cost more than as much as anybody out there. I swear. I would say I you had a right. You had the right first time. You said more, and then I you switched it as much. Every 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 word out there. And if there's a new one, please email me, and I, I need to learn it too. But yeah, I, I mean, that's my. I don't know. It's just some the way of I us talk, you know? do, and some of us don't. That's right. just the way it is. Um, Pete and I are very much a prototypical pair of knuckle dragging Neanderthals that, uh, out in a boat fishing without a camera, without any podcasting or anything like that. We're going to, we're, we're pretty bad. We're going to be swearing. We're, 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 sure. we're, we're, we'll be the first Along ones with to the admit cigar it. cigar going down there too. Yeah, but, know, we, we, but we try, we try our best because we know that our audience is not all people like us. We try our best to, uh, certainly for television, you know, to stay right down that center line and, and keep it uh, straight as we possibly can. We're almost phony can. on TV. Well, I didn't want to phony. use that. I didn't want to use that term, but I get that a lot. People that know me, they say, "How the hell can you not yeah, swear on TV?" I know. I never hear you swear on it's, TV. It's but that, it's what we've been doing for forty yeah, years, right? Exactly. So you learn for us. It's it's like a switch goes off as soon as that camera comes on. A switch goes off, and and we. Mm-hmm. We stay uh, afloat down the center line. Yeah, yeah. When that switch is off, yeah, we're we're probably uh, you know. Uh, you know, my first thought too is is with Jay here. Uh, um, but it, he's talking about kids. Kid. He's talking well, I'm about not, kids. I'm going on that right now. Right. I'm going on that right now. Is that when I was driving with my kids, they didn't listen to anything I had in the radio. They wouldn't. They wouldn't care. They had their either their iPods or iPads or whatever. They were listening to all their own stuff, playing games. They never tuned in on anything whatsoever that hmm. I that I would have on the radio, et cetera. Now That's I will say that kids are uncanny for playing their game and then all of a sudden they and hear listening. shit. That's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> and they'll say, Hey shit, shit daddy <laughs> You know what I mean? They yeah. go back to the game. So they are uncanny at that, so I'm picking it off. So I don't know where to say, but but I don't think the kids honestly they I mean I mean, uh, obviously Jay's kids are listening uh, intently, I'm assuming then, but my and, kids didn't <laughs> That's for sure. And, and we certainly don't want to lose any listeners, nope. whether they're adult kids in between, whatever. Um, but we also, we also, and I think maybe this program, we've come clean. We, we are not your purest. Uh, we're uh, not a couple of Francescan monks. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, you are, but that's a whole other reason for that. <laughs> Uh, but we are trying to keep it as civil as humanly possible. Yeah. So keeping it fun as possible too. Maybe like when you have a little Jimmy Cundin saying, you know, his oh, little line in there. I love I mean, it. That might be, a bunch of bullshit. That there. might be what Jay's talking about right there. You know what I mean? That's Maybe, like, but that's gold. That, that's gold. That's gold. That's so gold. I don't we care. To, uh, we have to say, okay, do we keep it or, or oust it? Right. We'd like yeah. to keep it. So. Okay. So here, here's what I'm uh, leading up to. First of all, I know that for every one person that sends us a comment or is unhappy with something we've done or is thrilled to death with something we've done, for every one of those, there's a hundred of you who feel the same way but don't reach out. That's the norm. Most people do not reach out. I would like to see if we can kind of put together our, our own little poll here amongst ourselves. You'd like a little reach around, wouldn't you? Well, there's that too, but, but that's a whole, 
<laughs> reach out. Sorry. By reach the way, out, I don't know whether you noticed or not. I'm wearing a Boy, beautiful fishing canvas. It looks, Ooh, it it looks uh, brand new. It, it was brand new. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clean. It looks brand new. <laughs> um, I'd like to find out what you're thinking out there. I, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, Pete and I can do whatever we want to please ourselves. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, we don't have a show. We don't have a business. We don't have an income. So at the end of the day, we do listen to the audience members. Uh, we always have. Be nice and, to hear this one. This would be a great yeah. little poll for us to see. Uh, are we are we over the line already? Are we okay? Are we, uh, you know, you don't care? You love it? Should we it? censor ourselves? Keep in mind... Uh, having been in broadcast, both television and radio, for almost four decades, when we had the opportunity to come to this platform, this venue, it was like a breath of fresh air for us. Listen to this guy okay? right now. What are you saying <laughs> because, right now? So true. Because uh, in as much as I'm making light of the fact that we throw a switch and we walk the straight and narrow, it's really hard for us. It's really tough. So when the opportunity came up to do podcasting, we both said, are you kidding me? Like we could just be ourselves. We could, have, uh, yeah. And so, I want you to keep that in mind that we don't necessarily want to go back into censorship, which we do every week on the television program. Uh, we kind of like the little bit of freedom that we've had here since we started this podcast. I want you. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I yeah. don't want. I don't want you to think. Well, maybe the guys are. You know, have seen the light and they're going. No, no. We would prefer to not. I don't mean that we should be in the cesspool a hundred percent of the time and wading through mud. No, but I'd like the idea that we can be ourselves. But if you don't think that that's necessarily right, we could be going down the wrong river here and we need to make some changes right away so please let us know what you think uh jay uh, already made his position very clear that he would prefer us not to stray from the censored version of who we are on tv so that he can listen to it with his family and that's admirable i think it's wonderful mm-hmm. what do you think Dean, is that What's info at fishingcanada.com? You can it send is? it there, but I'm going to put a poll on Spotify because that's, me- like, that's where the messages have been. So if you scroll down on Spotify when you're listening to the episode, there'll be a poll there. But, but, but they could Thank also you, send us uh, uh, something via info at? Yeah, I just said Yeah, yeah and our Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. And whatever. Uh, anywhere you find us. Anywhere you find us. Just, just say, hey, uh, talking about the poll the boys want. And yeah. Or just answer the poll. Maybe the easiest would probably be great right? Spotify, I would think, right? So, but doesn't matter. Yep, let's let's hear it. All right, please. Uh, speaking of hearing, you hearing that? That's a. I thought I'd turn that off, but no, perhaps no. not. Oh, it's in your ear. It's oh, in, it's in my head. Like everything, it's all in my head. head. Damn it, you it's had, in my head. You have the chronic wasting disease in that. Oh, I think I've chronically wasted about five days out of seven every week. Okay. Uh, while you are, did I mention uh, uh, <laughs> the fishingcanada.com, the site, the portal that will lead you uh, to the promised land if you're into fishing in the outdoors? That's where you need to land. be. Um, if you go there right now, we have uh, some information about our good friends, uh, our fellow podcasters on uh, Outdoor Journal Radio, the podcast network, and it's called the Ugly Pike Podcast. Guys are good, man. Oh, my God. You want to know about anything to do with fishing and uh, particularly musky fishing, 
and not to mention uh, brewing of beer. Yeah, they got a great beer. Hey. Try a new beer. Yep. Episode one forty nine: the peaks and valleys of musky fishing and full moon Fridays. Interesting stuff. These guys always do interesting stuff. So, well, is there anybody? I don't know whether that full moon Fridays has anything to do with musky fishing, but there's a fraternity that swears by the moon phase. Mm-hmm. Musky fishermen uh, is that fraternity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they absolutely. Which is important if you can schedule your fishing time, which most of us can't. But anyways, in the news on fishingcanada.com, Dean, my my headset is falling off of me today. Is that something I can help from over here? Well, <laughs> perhaps you could maybe put some Kaya tape. Is fishing the thirty-pound usury braid to it, and you can just pull some it back. Gaff you know. tape, maybe somewhere up here. We could t- we maybe could maybe with hair on it. Some gaff tape with with some uh, some hair. We'll put some fluorocarbon we'll put, line. We'll put it's invisible maybe. underwater. Maybe it's invisible to the to the camera too. <laughs> We'll fix you up. We'll fix you up. A breakthrough announcement. This is important. You know, we we make announcements all the time. We put headlines up all the time, but not very often uh, do we uh, participate in a genetic breakthrough announcement. (laughs) Not that we don't want to, but nobody senses that stuff. Right? We, We would like to break through. I mean, we've had a few breakthroughs, but. Not that many. But anyways, in the news on FishingCanada.com as we speak is a genetic breakthrough announcement uh, in breeding trophy bass. And who doesn't want to know more about that? I would say we would like to know more about that. But is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think uh, it's got uh, both good and bad. Right. Uh, the story is by Richard L. Fisher, who is CEO of Red Hills Fishery and uh, Center for Aquaculture Technologies. Well, they recently announced a significant breakthrough in that whole area of uh, biology. Uh, The identification of multiple naturally occurring genetic indicators that predict the growth, predict the growth of Florida strain largemouth bass to trophy size. How do you like that? Uh, you know, what I like is the best of what, they, what they're naming these, uh, these fish, the Titan Max Fingerlings. To me, that's like, that means these are big dudes coming up, big dudes and dudettes coming up. Um, they're ob- obviously, these are bred from good genetically big fish to begin with. The thing is, in my opinion, these are Florida strain you're talking about, right? I'm assuming. Yes. So did they start planting these, these new Titan Maxes in Okeechobee, uh, in, in somewhere in Georgia, somewhere in Texas. If they start introducing these fish into the uh, headwater, yeah. If they, if they start introducing these things into the wild, is that going to affect the natural population of fish? I'm not saying it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm wondering about this. Is it going to affect? Because in in a sense, they're putting an invasive species in. They're introducing another species, possibly. Maybe not invasive. If it's, it's all Florida strain, it's an interesting uh, viewpoint. Because, like I don't, because, it wouldn't be an invasive species because if it's Florida strain, they're just taking the best of the best and putting right. them back in where Florida strain. But you, you can't do that. Um, let's say in the, the states where they have the F, F5s or whatever, the half northern, half Floridas. Right. You start introducing that in there again. That might affect something. I don't know. I think you have to look at your own moral compass on this one. If this was uh, an ex- experiment that we were conducting on humans, we would all be up in arms. Yep. Think, think about it, right? Yeah. We're genetically modifying the human DNA so that we would uh, produce only these 
genetically perfect beings. Well, that wouldn't last long. I think yeah, that yeah. one would be, uh, <laughs> excuse right. me, that one would go down the drain pretty quick. But yet here we are talking about it with mm. animals. So that's why I say the moral compass. Like, where do we draw the line? I, li- I mean, I like the sound of it, but I don't know if it's going to be ultimately good or not. As an angler, no. you love it. Yeah. As an angler, you yeah. love it. Let's be honest about it. Who would not want to be able to think yeah. that at yeah. some yeah. point, or maybe even on certain bodies of water, right. we can go after genetically enhanced Maybe that's Large a, maybe they take a certain like Great. obviously private lakes. It's a perfect place for private waters. You can do whatever you want there, and especially in the U.S., you want to stock a, a big pond of your own on your property, a five ten acre pond. Let's get the big girls in there. Um, maybe five lakes in a state. You know, just to take these five designated lakes, we're going to put these fish into that. Maybe something like that might work out well too, and and not get everybody else up in arms like you and I. We'd love them. We'd go fishing for them. Let's get them big maxes in our boat. You know what I mean? So uh, now the. The way this, I'm thinking about the, the reality of right now in Texas, they have, I think it's called Share Lunker or Lunker Share. I think it's mm-hmm. called Share Lunker Program. And on Lake Fork, for instance, um, there's a slot limit of 16 to 24 inches, I believe it is, for largemouth bass. You cannot keep any fish that size. But over 24 inches, you're allowed to keep one fish. What, ha- what are, they're doing a lot of that with a lot of ethical bass anglers that don't want to kill this fish. They're donating it to that share lunker program. They're getting all these big females together in these in these pens, and they're actually breeding their own fish with good genetics and putting them back in that same lake. Now, that's a good thing. It's a natural fish to that lake, Lake Fort, for instance. They're just building a better gene pool, I guess, is what they're doing there. It's almost the same thing, but you're not... You know what I mean? Sort of, maybe. And, and it, people are participating like crazy in there. And you get okay. rewards for it, too. Anything over eight pounds is a certain amount. I think over 12 and then over, there's the three numbers that they use for these uh, rewards in Texas. And, but and it, it's working really well for them. And they still have that, that uh, slot limit in there. That's why you see on those, there's a Bass Masters event on that lake. And they have, that's the only Bass Masters event where they weigh on the boat. Because you can't take them into the scales. Most of the fish are, are being, you know right. what I mean? So they're, they've given a tolerance. So they say, yeah, you can weigh them on the boat instead of instant release. You can weigh them. They can record like that. What they're doing with that then is they get a big one. They get a nine-pounder. They can bring that to the stage to show everybody, and they can weigh it on the stage, something like that. So, But you're not screwing with nature. No, you're just... No, you're just, this, this, we're screwing with nature. Right. So a little different... I think than what you're talking about. No, I mean, I'm just here, saying that's what's going on yeah, right now in, yeah. in the in the reality of it. And yeah, I don't know what. The, Anyways, it, it's an interesting, fascinating well, story. You, know, you got to read it. They've changed. They've they've crossbred Floridas with Northerns. So for that, one and I'm we do it, and we so. do it in the animal world. I mean, it's it's not uh, uncommon. Hell, you know, man's best friend <laughs> is a byproduct of of genetically genetically altering a living being a living thing with 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 uh, introducing other dna into its cycle that normally wouldn't be there mm-hmm. we accept it with our pets perfectly fine but we certainly don't accept that uh, you know if, we're, if 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 there's a lab that's playing around with uh, human genes and and trying to design the perfect human being i think it'd be shut down immediately so i'm just I, to me it's a bit of a contradiction or where do you draw the line? Where's that moral compass? Where does it point that it's okay here, but not okay there? Depends personally, doing here personally I would love this program to bear fruit. For me as an angler, 
I think it'd be fantastic. Why not? Why not enhance our fishery? Mm-hmm. Why not enhance it? I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it, but yeah. you know there is, and you know there are people out there who... Yeah, it depends we'll on what they're doing. If they're, if they're altering the DNA, that's an issue. If they're not, well, if they're just taking the best of the best, then there's not. Well, really what they're doing is taking, they've been able to, now there's a marker that they can now scientifically follow for those genetically superior fish. I'm going to make an assumption that they're, they extrapolate those and let the others go away. That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And now you've got the perfect fish. Yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. it's it's a great story. It's on fishingcanada.com, uh, and it's uh, it's a real breakthrough. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a, a heavy read, but it's uh, it's really interesting, it's fascinating, stuff. and especially because it pertains to largemouth bass. And, and like, who doesn't love largemouth bass? I love. You know what I mean? I love. Who doesn't? They're fun. Uh, also in the news on fishingcanada.com, I know we're we're sounding a little bit connected to bass here, but uh, uh, this one shocked me. Uh, a huge striped bass bust in, of all places, PEI. Mm-hmm. September 18th, fisheries offers for officers from Prince Edward Island's Alberton detachment seized 177 striped bass, stating the majority were below the 50-centimeter minimum legal size. Wow. That's a lot of stripers, bud. That picture. Local possession, by the way, is a limit of three fish that measure 50 to 65 centimeters yeah, three there wasn't so. much written on this that's all mm-hmm. we could get out of it so mm-hmm. far we don't know how many people were involved but uh, there'd have to be a lot of people divide the 177 by three you'd have to have a lot of participants there to- now you also have another side of the story which i'm sure is going to be coming up in the days ahead and that is that uh, there's a lot of folks in that area there's a, there's a more than a lot of folks in that area say, what's the big deal? We shouldn't even have limits on, on these bass because they're an invasive species, for God's sakes, mm. which is totally, if I could get you to push. There's a bunch of bullshit. That's right. Because it Sorry, has, Jay. <laughs> well, we don't have the final word yet. Oh, we can use true. it. Give it okay. to me again. Give it to me one more time. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could. There's a bunch of bullshit. That's right. Until we have the definitive answer, uh, we good? can we can use that I, button. I tap out. All right. Uh but um, a lot of folks who, who are, you know, saying that it's an invasive species, which is not, uh, we've got documentation that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that this fish has been there forever, almost. I mean, we've talked to people down in those area parts that uh, commercial fishermen who recall seeing them when they were kids in the 60s, uh, there were all kinds of uh, stripers in the Bay of Fundy area. So... They're not new by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me that maybe they are on a, a growth, a bit of a spurt, population spurt, oh, yeah. maybe. Oh, yeah. But that's got nothing to do with you invasive know. or not. That's because we're changing the temperature of their environment by altering the Atlantic Ocean and the northeastern sector of, of North America by even one degree. You're altering their preferred spawning uh, temperatures. Right. And so they're moving further north. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what's going on. And that- you, you know what? You could you could uh, be onto something here in the sense of, um, I think this is where you're going, or I'm not sure. But anyways, it could be all these disgruntled salmon people or everybody that's well, against, everybody that's against, they didn't say who did this, and they didn't say why. It could be people typical, like in BC, when the when the largemouth and smallmouth bass first came in there, they were kicking, they were drop kicking them into the bush. They had yeah. the tournaments there, thirty at a time, kill them all. You know what I mean? So maybe there's these still these people that hate stripers that are 
decimating the population as best they can, and they got caught this time. You never I know, think the right? comments that I saw in PEI was like the lobster guys did not like stripers. They blamed them completely for the collapse, which I didn't know there was a collapse that bad in that area. Because when we were in New Brunswick, they said they had a, like a great year. Like, yeah, yeah. What are they? What do the stripers do to lobsters? Do they say? I they have no the, idea. Eat the roll, or yeah. probably probably uh, interfere with their yeah. spawn of some their spawn. I don't know. As, as, huh. as some, as, as, I don't know. I don't know what to believe wow. anymore. Who to believe? Anyway, that's to a lot of dead fish right there. That uh, the photo is breathtaking. I don't care what species that is on the ground, except if it was a grass carp, then Whoa. I would agree with that. Yeah, let's, let's double that up right there. Let's get more than that, buddy, on the on the patio for us. But uh, this was quite a bust, and on P of all places, <laughs> 177 striped bass. I'm laughing, but it shouldn't. And obviously, that's because there's a commercial uh, value to this uh, product. Obviously, they're selling it. They're not, this wasn't done just for fun. Uh, I'm assuming this was going to go on the market. Yeah. Right. Well, you. Why One else? Of three things. Either they want to eat it themselves and load their. One hundred and seventy-seven. Five guys. They're going to load their freezer up. So it's either thought that, or what I just said there. They hate stripers. They want to get rid of them for that, or they're selling them. Okay. How's that? Well, maybe we can find out in the days to come. Maybe We've, we can uh, do. We posted a- that on the website. That if we hear any more, we're going to definitely follow up on this. And how are we going to hear more? Well, we're going to look into it more. That's for oh. sure. Okay. Because you're going to look into it now that you volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> See, sure. Put it on me. Like, I don't have enough to do around here. Well, you're, now you're doing put it on me. Shot cutting tables up. That's all you're doing here. <laughs> Good Jeez. God almighty. Anyways, yeah. uh, if you uh, hear of anything that we should be uh, notified immediately, Please. Of it, help us That'd out. Be with awesome. Because I'd like to find out more about this story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because it's, uh, it's bizarre. And we were speaking of invasive species uh, because that's what some folks think that striped bass are on the east coast of Canada. Uh, we do have an invasive species a lot closer to home here. We've been talking about it for months on this very program, and that is the uh, the sand carp. Uh, sand carp. <laughs> they got with the grass carp. Well, sand. Maybe I sand mean, might it could be. be. It's it one could be. four yeah, species, I mean, right? Maybe sand that's is not, one. Uh, that's the fifth. That's the fifth species of it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know. Yeah. And besides, what's in a name? A rose is a rose is a rose. You can call a rose a piece that of... That ain't no rose. That is an ugly... Sure. Ugly uh, dead plant. Uh, anyways, dead. it's only one of the four uh, species uh, from the Asian carp family that uh, potentially could destroy our local environments, fish environments that would uh, make what we take for granted, uh, sport fishing, make it obsolete pretty damn quick too. Because these fish, the grass carp, consume up to forty percent of their body weight each day in vegetation that our species live in thrive in and in fact can't do without you know like that that largemouth bass thing project we were talking about the other day well there'll be no projects left if there's no No. weeds left you know in these lakes you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. especially in especially in our canadian waters and our ontario waters especially the amount of weed growth that we have is so crucial to everything that whole ecosystem is is based on weeds you know what i mean it would uh, it could be devastating so i'm you know i've been giving this some thought since we've been working with uh, this group the invasive species center i've been giving it some thought you know is it is this danger more to lakes that are filled with weeds that we know of, you know, and, and locally I'll take places like Scugog and Rice Lake and, you know, most of the Kawartha's for that example. Or is it more dangerous to lakes that have very limited 
amount of weed growth to start with. Mm. Which do you think would feel the well, weight of this more? You know what the it's kind of an oxymoron here is that would you call dog, me? Excuse me. An ox. Is he can he do that? I don't know. An ox and a moron. moron. I'll put it in the poll. An ox and a moron. A lake like Scugog has, I don't know how many invasive plant species. Oh. Weeds alone are invasive. So could this kill some of that? Yeah, could it help that lake? You know what I mean? Versus versus a a lake with uh, 20 cabbage patches that will get annihilated like that. So Wow. um, I don't know. That's interesting. It's an interesting take. Well, that's why they brought them in, right? Originally, right. yeah, originally, so, right. Yeah. I mean, Anyways, even, even Eurasian milfoil, I think, is uh, it, it's yeah. There's a lot of invasive uh, weeds. I, for there. one, would not want to go. Down. That's a very no. slippery slope, Mr. Bowman. That you're <laughs> no. I'm just saying it's, uh, it's the it's odd that we're fighting fire, possibly with fire. With fire, yeah. You know? Anyways, what we need to do as anglers is be a little more vigilant uh, with regards to this creature called the grass carp. Best place to learn more about it. Arm yourself with information uh it's all available at asiancarp.ca you can download all kinds of uh, interesting little tidbits that you can take with you out in the field next time you go fishing and if you see something there that looks kind of weird open your phone up and there it is and uh, you can make the identification right then and there on the spot in fact you can also notify the proper authorities uh from that same uh little uh uh, is that, can we call that an app? What you can download? I guess not. Maybe is it an app? Dean? Is no, it's just a PDF. PDF. But it also has it has phone numbers that you can contact or emails you can send yep. and all that stuff. All available at asiancarp.ca. Come on now. Uh, yeah, this you know, you know what would be a cool app if they could if they we should invent Identify. this app. Yeah, well, don't don't talk. Well, okay, well, don't say anything. Don't excuse me. Never mind. All right. Okay. How can we? That's why we never get the scoop on anybody. We always hear about it after it's, it's been out there. And we say, nice Wait, why didn't we think of that? We're nice guys. We let everybody in on our thoughts. And we wanna, we're going to have a GoFundMe on that one. <laughs> I would like to do a GoFundMe. All right. This week's uh, fan question comes to us from Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Yes. We love the folks in Alberta, Canada. Yes, we have spent much, much of our fishing time out there. Great problems, uh, great problems. Oh, Fun. This, uh, this one comes from Sean Bainbridge. Sean Bainbridge via email. By the way, email is the best way to uh, get fan questions out to us. All you do is go to info at fishingcanada.com and uh, jot down. I don't care. Put it on the, uh, however you want to write, print, whatever you want to do. Uh, draw pictures on, uh, send us an, uh, an email with whatever your question draw is. Pictures. And we draw figure, pictures. And we have to figure and it we out. we have to decipher what we the picture to, means. Yeah, um, I like that. And uh, send it into us, or you can go to Instagram, uh, you can go to Facebook and do the same thing. When they come in, Dean, apparently I, I have not uh, been witness to this, so I'm just passing this on from hearsay. But apparently he does have a, a, a whole process. He puts everything into a 45-gallon drum that uh, he... He just looked at you out of the corner of his he, eyes. Uh, There's a bunch of bullshit. He <laughs> got somewhere. I have no idea where. And he drops them all in there, prints them out, drops them all in there, and then once a week he puts his arm in there, pulls one out, and uh, puts it here in front of us so that we can read it to you. Much like the one we're about to read from Sean Bainbridge of Alberta, Canada. Sean writes via email, what is or was the scariest, most life-threatening event <laughs> like that <laughs> that happened to you while filming 
any of the shows. Any of the shows. So life-threatening event. Wow. I have life one. Life-threatening. I have one. Really? That I can remember. But it wasn't Fishing Canada. It was Outdoor Journal. Okay. You'll remember it as soon as I bring it up. Okay. So we're flying over the jungles of Brazil, uh, oh. moving from spot to spot on this little plane. And I look out. I've mentioned this on this show before, I think, on this, this podcast. I best. look out. Just, you know, you're looking at the, the jungle. You're seeing all this cool stuff. But I'm beside the wing. And I see liquid popping out of the wing. It just gives a little, looks like water. So I said to the boys, I said, boys, is that water coming out of there? Nobody knew what it is. So I, I said to the pilot, hey, buddy, he doesn't speak any English. Hey, buddy, uh, take a look. Agua, uh, whatever, water. He goes, no agua. <laughs> and he gets right back on the plane. He literally gets on the radio and he starts, was it Spanish or what do what they speak uh, Portuguese. there? Portuguese. He goes on but, this whole thing. But and we knew then, we were in trouble when he starts pulling out the paper maps. Yeah. Remember so underneath the and seat? He, uh, he literally goes in a panic <laughs> mode and we literally landed on a dirt road going into a town to land this plane. Not a runway, a, ta- a, ro- a dirt road for Jeeps and stuff like that. He landed this plane in the jungle on that because that was fuel flying out of the, out of the wing, wing in the gas tank of that plane. So. Yeah, he was looking uh, on the maps. He was looking for any sort of sign of a uh, village. Or, yeah, you know, or, the plane goes like that. You go, oh, boy. You have to appreciate the fact this is a canopy. We're flying over the canopy. There are no openings. Everything below us is just one yeah, solid, green, jungle. massive jungle. So he had to find the closest... Uh, Groupings of people that were were on the map that he could <laughs> find, and, and that's what he did. They saw this plane landing, and there's this little the village. Street, people are in the middle of the street. What the hell? A <clears throat> plane landing. Yeah, that was life threatening. Yeah, that was. If we'd have ran out, if we wouldn't have had that landing strip, we'd have ran out of fuel and been in the jungle. And he and he pulled out his uh, American Express. We we got pushed by the local villagers. We got pushed to the uh, a, a pump. pump. The only probably the only not probably the only pump in this little village. And it wasn't ab fuel. It and wasn't, it wasn't proper fuel. fuel. But it got us a, it got us and to where we needed to Pulled out his credit card. It was the best. Anyway, <laughs> so that's that was life threatening. I don't know about anything else. Um, uh, I have another one that I hadn't thought of for a hundred years, and it also happened on Outdoor Journal because obviously that was a more dangerous part of what Pete and I grew up doing in the, in the television business. Um, we were in uh, Kruger national park and we were looking for a pair of, uh, brother lions that had recently taken over one of the biggest and oldest prides of lions in that part of the park. And these two brother, big, young, tough brother lions, apparently, were, were came in and they overwhelmed the king, the reigning king of, of this group of lions, and um, and now were had taken over. And the reason it was pretty strange because at that time there weren't many known cases where you had two lions that were in control of of a pride in the wild. So the fact that these two brothers were doing it was kind of unique. So we went in to, to document it and film it and all that stuff. And we couldn't find them anywhere. We traveled all over the place, couldn't find them anywhere. And then we were sort of, our minds had wandered. We were shooting some giraffes, I think, or something. But one of our camera guys, Andy, suggested to us that we drop him off here in this one little uh, valley where the, where the dirt road was running through. And he said, drop me off here, and, and then you guys go back up uh, up the hill and drive down towards me. I want to get this shot of you guys coming through and all that stuff, you know, which, which is quite common in the business. So uh, 
so we did. We had radios. We had uh, communication. Did he, did he not have a guard with him, though, a guy, uh, an armed? Because they wouldn't ever let you do that. He must have he had, had a guard, guard with him. He must have had a guard. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because everything there was about guards and safety, guns and yeah. safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know what? They wouldn't let us do that. unless, unless And they wouldn't let us out on our own. I don't know. I, I think I... It seems to me... I don't know. That was a long time ago. Anyways. But, but anyways... So we, we dropped them off there and we went back and forth and back and forth because, you know, cameramen are like that. Do it again. Do it, it again. That was, you know, when you My hear a cameraman, when you hear a director or DOP say, oh, great, I love it. That's a perfect, you know, you're going to be doing it again, right? <laughs> so I think we did it like five or six times. And it was a long way up, a long way down. Anyways, we finally, um, we finally had done it. But now he wanted to go back up and shoot it from the driver's point of view, right? So he could intercut with that nice, beautiful long shot. So we went back up with him in the vehicle and uh, he got in and now we're heading back down. And oh my God, when we got to within 50 feet of whether, where he had been standing for the last, I don't know, two hours, both of those male lions were there on the road. One was lying down. I'll never forget the one that was lying down and his brother was standing beside him, but he had that great big, beautiful mane of hair and there was a wind coming into his face and he was had his head up <laughs> sniffing the wind and the hair was just waving in the wind. It was the most magnificent sight uh, we had ever seen. And there they were, both of them had smelled that there was somebody there in their area. Yeah. They came down to investigate. So that was life threatening. They're not yeah. even, they don't care uh, one bit. They, oh, not he those didn't get off the road. We were not in a, those we, we sat there. Jeep. Remember we, we had sat we had there. To wait for him to leave before we could move yeah. on. Yeah. 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 He, he gave care. it. It was like he was saying, okay, boys, <laughs> fill that lens, <laughs> let, fill that lens, no, boys. Or, Enjoy or, the moment. Or let that guy back out for another minute or two. That's probably what they're saying. Feed me now. Uh, but yeah, that, I guess we could consider that life threatening. I bet you we got uh, a lot more. That's, that's, I mean, we can't remember them right I now. I think outdoor journal, I think every, every episode of the journal, we put a, 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 a there was a, there, our, our life. I'm not going to say our life was on the line. But we certainly came close to putting it on the line. Yeah. I think whether we were diving, whether we were interacting with anacondas or alligators or polar bears or jumping off of bridges or like everything we did had a little bit of yeah. danger. But at the time, we didn't really think about it. No, I don't. Yeah, I yeah, never yeah, did. You know. You know. You know. I, I'm but, trying to think of fish in Canada. And I just cannot. But I can't think of anything we got ourselves into that was uh, not that during was the taping of the show. Right. I, there's been a few for me. Um, close calls in big water mm-hmm. with boats, uh, but yeah. not while we were shooting. Mostly yeah. tournament. That's mostly tournament stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. while we're shooting, we're pretty we're, candy knock ass. Knock on wood, we're lucky. We're pretty candy ass, right? Well, we got to think about it. We got all these other guys who are with us, and, oh, you know, yeah. they're all wimps. Dean, and, Dean has been, oh, had my put a day God, in the bush in his get, life. Yeah. And, and Boba's <laughs> got to get a manicure before he can go out every morning, for God's sake. So how are you going to get in Nick, danger? Nick has five turds a day. Yeah. He has to go to, we have to find it in a how are you gonna, for him to poop everywhere. Yeah, how are you going to have life-threatening yeah. moments with this crew? But anyways... Um, yeah, that's it. That's 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 all I can think of that, uh, yeah. that might have been an issue.
there's an adventure just outside these walls. It's something you'll hate to leave and can't wait to get back to. It's a place where memories are made and bonds are forged. For some, it's hitting the trails. For others, it's a weekend at the lake. It's a place full of campfires and quality time. This year, take some time to reconnect with friends, family, and nature. No matter what adventures await you, Coleman has the gear you need. Visit ColemanCanada.ca to gear up today. The outside is calling. Answer the call. Back in 2016, Frank and I had a vision to amass the single largest database of muskie angling education material anywhere in the world. Our dream was to harness the knowledge of this amazing community and share it with passionate anglers just like you. Thus, the Ugly Pike podcast was born and quickly grew to become one of the top fishing podcasts in North America. Step into the world of angling adventures and embrace the thrill of the catch with the Ugly Pike podcast. Join us on our quest to understand what makes us different as anglers and to uncover what it takes to go after the infamous fish of 10,000 casts. The Ugly Pike podcast isn't just about fishing. It's about creating a tight-knit community of passionate anglers who share the same love for the sport. Through laughter, through camaraderie, and an unwavering spirit of adventure, this podcast will bring people together. Subscribe now and never miss a moment of our angling adventures. Tight lines, everyone. Find Ugly Pike now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As the world gets louder and louder, the lessons of our natural world become harder and harder to hear, but they are still available to those who know where to listen. I'm Jerry Olette, and I was honored to serve as Ontario's Minister of Natural Resources. However, my journey into the woods didn't come from politics. Rather, it came from my time in the bush and a mushroom. In 2015, I was introduced to the birch-hungry fungus known as chaga, a tree conch, with centuries of medicinal use by indigenous peoples all over the globe. After nearly a decade of harvest, use, testimonials and research, my skepticism has faded to obsession, and I now spend my life dedicated to improving the lives of others through natural means. But that's not what the show's about. My pursuit of this strange mushroom and my passion for the outdoors has brought me to the places and around the people that are shaped by our natural world. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Under the Canopy podcast, I'm going to take you along with me to see the places and meet the people that will help you find your outdoor passion and help you live a life close to nature and under the canopy. Find Under the Canopy now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. All right. Well, let's get to the uh, meat of the show today. No oh, pun intended. We didn't have any meat in the early in the oh, show. We had, we had it's all pretty kinds. good stuff, wasn't it? Uh, I jo- thought it was good. Joining us now is uh, Larissa Nittuk, who is with the MNRF. She is science operations supervisor, among other things. We'll talk about the other things uh, here shortly. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, it's a, it's a great subject. I do have to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, I did probably my first uh, CWD interview with uh, people back 15, 
years or so ago on the then Outdoor Journal radio show. So I do have a little bit of information, but uh, obviously I need a lot of updating. We're going to so. see if it's progressed at all, right? Oh, yeah. See? You know what I mean? <laughs> and we forgot to say, uh, Larissa is supervisor of the Ontario's Chronic Wasting Disease Program. So. That's correct. So, uh, yeah. so let's start with, uh, with some of the misnomers that were going on way back then, um, that the origin of this disease in Canada at that time the origin was really unknown, and there were certainly some conspiracy theories going around as to how it got here. One of them that I did an interview uh, on the show, like I said, about 15 years ago, was that uh, it was actually the beginnings of a rival war between two operations that were at the time looking to bring um, uh, deer and deer farming into Canada and uh, out of the U.S. And so the conspiracy theory back then was that somebody was trying to poison the other one's herd. And, ah, and, uh, yeah, I get so, it. Anyways, that's that's kind of where how far back I go with this thing. Tell us, what is it? What is CWD, chronic wasting disease? Yeah, great question. Good to start with the basics. Yep. Um, so chronic wasting disease, it's a progressive fatal disease that affects the nervous system of members of the deer family. Um, so cervids in Ontario, that could be species like white-tailed deer, elk, moose, or woodland caribou. And CWD, is, it's, it's caused by an infectious abnormal protein, which is called a prion. And basically what happens is those prions accumulate in the brain and other tissues of these animals, and it eventually leads to their death. And it is in the same family of diseases as um, scrapie in sheep, also uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, which you might all be more familiar with as um, BSC or mad cow disease right. in cattle. And then uh, there is also a, a human form called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. So unfortunately with CWD, there's no cure, there's no vaccine to treat it or to prevent it. Wow. So it's a protein, sorry, Ange, it's a protein in the brain that's gone askew or something like that? Is that? Yeah, so basically what happens is these infectious and normal proteins start misfolding and then they cause other proteins in the brain to misfold as well too. Oh. Now, you mentioned uh, the human version. We don't want to mislead people at this point. We have no proof that this disease is being spread to humans uh, from deer. Is that correct? That is correct. Right. There is there is no definitive scientific evidence at this this point in time to, to show that CWD is transmissible to humans. There have been no reported cases of CWD infection in humans. But there has been some recent uh, preliminary research using macaque monkeys. So they're a, a right. species that are closely related to humans. And through that research, they showed that the animals developed CWD over time when they were fed muscle meat from infected deer. Um, and so as a precaution, public health officials like Health Canada and the World Health Organization all recommend that hunters take proper precautions when handling cervid carcasses and to avoid eating CWD-infected animals. So so let's get right to that, because it is hunting season, and obviously it would be uh, uh, critical at this point for hunters to know what they're looking for. Is there some, some visual uh, aspect of this disease that hunters can immediately lock in on and say, ah, 
I got a problem. Yeah. Um, so CWD is a progressive disease, which means that an infected animal could appear normal for several years before signs develop. It can take anywhere from 12 to 48 months for signs to develop in an infected animal. If an animal is infected, it could show a couple of signs. Um, one of the, the sort of major hallmarks of CWD infection is that severe loss of body weight and body condition. So they might look really, really emaciated. Um, there are lots of other reasons why a deer might look a bit thin, especially at certain times of year, but that's kind of the classic one related to CWD that they get really skinny. They might also have abnormal behavior, like lack of fear of humans or indifference to our kind of human activities. Um, also as well, too, they sometimes uh, have kind of uncoordinated movements and uh, tremors and stumble around as well, too. So those are kind of like the three most classic CWD symptoms. So I would say if, if anyone sees signs, uh, those signs in a wild servant, if they could note the location of the animal and if possible, take photographs or video and then contact the ministry, we can investigate those cases. Are there any uh, like physical, other than the movements, the zombie movements of this, any sores on the animals, anything like that? You can look and say, wow, that animal's hurting. No, no. So it mostly is kind of those um just those behavioral signs and then those neurological signs like the uncoordinated movements and then the emaciation. The only other thing that they sometimes see in infected deer is uh, they might salivate more than normal. So you might see some drooling um, or they might droop their heads a little bit. So they might keep their heads down, uh, but, but no kind of like sores or, or anything like that, that they would be associated (laughs) with it. I think the, uh, the name it's been given, a zombie deer disease yeah. kind of speaks for, speaks for itself. Right? But I've seen, it looks I've like seen, a zombie. I've seen some pictures of deer, especially deer, the big black lumps all over them. That's obviously something different, but and it would be a concern, but I didn't know if, you know, just when you see an animal like that in the wild, you look and say, whoa, what the hell? I'm not shooting that thing. You know what I mean? So, but. Yeah, and I would say if hunters ever see something in a wild animal that they're not sure about, uh, they can reach out to, to us at the ministry to, to try to identify what they're seeing. Or as well, too, we have a really great resource in Canada uh, called the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative. And hunters and members of the public can reach out to them and uh, they can submit samples for testing for uh, not just chronic wasting disease, but um, all kinds of other diseases. And they can help to provide that advice as well, too, about what what folks might be seeing. So do we know, uh, is is it a fact that they are now in this disease has moved into the province of Ontario or are we still just uh, vigilant about it and, and looking for signs? Uh, We are just being vigilant and looking for signs. Vigilance is really important. Uh, We have been doing surveillance in the province since 2002. Um, We have detected, uh, we have sampled over 15,000 wild deer in the province, and we have not detected any cases so far. But as you said, it's important to be vigilant because we have... um, Cases of CWD have been detected in all um, U.S. states that surround Ontario, as well as both provinces. So we really need to be keeping an eye out um, to make sure that if this disease does come into Ontario, that we find it quickly and that we're able to respond. Is it contagious? Is it contagious amongst deers? Like how would it get here unless the deer, either they come into the province or is it they can some catch it somehow or? Yeah. uh, So CWD is highly, highly contagious. 
It can be spread in a number of ways. It can be spread through um, the saliva, urine, feces, and blood of infected animals, also by exposure to a contaminated environment. So for example, if an infected uh, deer goes up to a mineral lick and licks that mineral lick, that all, all the next deer that come up to that mineral lick could potentially be infected wow. as well. There's wow. also evidence that the disease can remain infectious in the environment for a really long time. So for example, in soil. Um, so it is, it is really hard to get rid of once it is in a, a jurisdiction. What we do know about how CWD um, gets to different jurisdictions uh, is twofold. One, it, it could be through the movement of um, captive deer and elk, um, either through the movement through um, sort of zoos or game farms, but then also through just natural movement of deer. For example, we know that deer um, move across from uh, Minnesota into northwestern Ontario quite regularly and vice versa. And then the third thing as well is there is some research to show that scavengers might be able to pass CWD um, prions through their digestive system. So they might be able to spread it to new areas as well, too. So a couple of different ways that it could could get here. Wow. Larissa, any word on uh, on the possibilities of uh, smaller creatures like ticks or insects uh, spreading it? I mean, we know, we all know Lyme disease is uh, yeah. carried by deer and transferred to mice, and then uh, into hu- into ticks that eventually could bite a human. Is there that sort of relationship at all with ticks and and uh, this disease? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it is something that researchers are actually currently looking into because, as I mentioned, blood is one of the ways that CWD can be um, spread between animals. Right. So there are some researchers looking into the potential about whether ticks might transmit it as well, too. So uh, okay. more more to come on that front. Yeah. Imagine, yeah. A, imagine a mosquitoes got it. Well, the amount of mosquitoes that are out there. Why wouldn't it, though? Uh, yeah, you're right. My, my question is, he why bites wouldn't it? He an infected deer and he bites you. Simple. You know, he Simple. bites another deer. Or whatever. bites another deer. Yeah. Like like ticks, right? Yeah. So, wow. yeah, I, I, I would uh, definitely be looking at that one. That would be at the top of my list because of the information we already yeah. have on Lyme disease and how it's yeah. moved around uh, and the different God. vectors for Nature it. Nature is so nasty, it's, isn't it? It can Crazy. be so nasty. Now, let's go back, if we could, to my conspiracy theory from 100 years ago, because I loved it. Um, originally, this this disease was from Western Canada. Like, we first noticed it in Saskatchewan and Alberta, I believe. And coincidentally, at that time, that's where the uh, domesticated herds were that were being used for protein source. And from there, it just kind of seemed to have spread. Now, you just touched on it lightly that that is one of the possible uh, ways of this disease getting to wild deer is from domestic deer. Well, when I say domestic, I mean, uh, obviously, penned deer. Is that still, um, did I, is that industry still viable today? Are people still rearing deer for consumption? Yes, yes, people are. are still uh, rearing deer for consumption in many jurisdictions. It's it's quite a common practice still in in many U.S. states. How about here? Um, how about here in Canada? It, yes, it, it does still happen here in Canada as well too. Okay, so mm. so I'm assuming that MNRF is 
is keeping a close eye on that because that's where it all started here in Canada. Anyways, that's where where it was originally detected. So I'm assuming you guys have got a program where you're visiting these farms on a regular basis and, and taking samples. So um, captive cervids in in Ontario, at least, are are managed by our our colleagues at the uh, Ontario Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, Uh uh, so OMAFRA. So we work really closely with OMAFRA to make sure um, that that there is a permitting system in place. So uh, that permitting system in Ontario covers the import, transport and movement of all live cervids, captive cervids. And so that program ensures that only cervids who are considered low risk for CWD receive a movement permit. Okay, we've been talking about Canada and a bit of U.S. Did it come from somewhere else from Europe? Where did this all start? Yeah, yeah. So going back, um, you know, all the way back to the 60s. um, So the origin of CWD is still not known. We still don't know where it originally came from. But the first identified captive um, case was found in a mule deer in Colorado in a research facility in the late 60s. And then uh, they found an additional uh, wild elk in the early 80s. And then um, by the, I'd say the early 90s, it had started to be reported in the surrounding areas around northern Colorado and southern Wyoming. And essentially, um, it was kind of, just sort of isolated in that general area in the 90s. But by the time we moved into the early 2000s, it had continued to spread across North America. Again, as I mentioned, through the movement of captive cervids between zoos and between farms, and also through the natural movement of infected uh, wild populations. And right now, as of this October, CWDs have actually been detected in 31 U.S. states. So more than half of all U.S. states as well as four Canadian provinces. Wow. I find it interesting that we've got, uh, um, we've got CWD in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Quebec. Surrounding us. And yet we have no cases in Ontario and below us. In the U.S. Is that kind of weird that we don't have it yet? I mean, it's, you know, it's coming for us and that, and that's why we need to be so vigilant and it's why it's so important that we have a surveillance program and also that we have uh, preventative measures in place uh, to help prevent it from coming to this province as well too. Um, So we are doing everything we can to, to stop it from coming here and to be ready that if it does come here, that we'll be able to respond accordingly. this program to bring you the much anticipated bonus code for the latest fish in canada giveaway this week's code is guided that's all capitals g-u-i-d-e-d just type that in the bonus code section of the contest and receive 100 free entries towards all of our current giveaways for those of you who aren't entered yet what are you waiting for head over to fishingcanada.com while you listen to the rest of this episode click contests and sign up for all the latest fishing canada giveaways and now back to the episode With hunting season upon us, uh, there are going to be a lot of deers that are brought into uh, small market 
butcher shops and whatnot in order to be processed for the hunter. Uh, is there a program in place that will um, help those folks identify this a lot easier? So I'm talking about maybe uh, the, the local mom, pa butcher in that town that'll be processing, I don't know, hundreds of deer in the next uh, few weeks. Is there something in place for them? So, so um, we, as well as Amafra, do um, a lot of outreach about CWD. So we communicate to all kinds of stakeholders, to taxidermists, to butcher shops, to hunters, and members of the public, too, who might just be out on the landscape, uh, who might see deer. Um, so we share a lot of information uh, about what CWD looks like um, and how to report it. And we really encourage anyone, if you see something suspicious out on the landscape, get in touch. But once the animal has been dispatched, there's nothing visible that could help in identifying it beyond that? No. So it, it wow. really, it, it needs That's... to get tested, essentially. Yeah. So here, wow. here we got a, an infected deer. He's been two years infected, not showing any symptoms yet. The butcher slices it all up. The human, the, the hunter takes it home. They all eat it. Any any kind of ill effects in that little process right there? No. So as I said, there there is no scientific evidence at this point that CWD infects humans. You know, hunters have been eating deer, you know, throughout this whole time since CWD was first right. detected in the 60s. Um, there have been no uh, cases of CWD in humans. Uh, but again, um, you know, public health officials, if you, if you have... You know, a known CWD infected animal, they don't recommend eating it. But to the general population, um, you know, especially here in Ontario, we've not detected a case. Um, you know, it, as long as your deer looks healthy, it's good, it's good to eat it. Would it be wise for us to reach out to hunters at this point and suggest that all of the deer that are harvested? be tested? So I don't think that that is necessary at this okay. point in time, um, especially because we haven't detected a case yet. What I would really encourage hunters to do, though, is to participate in our surveillance program okay. if they're in one of the annual surveillance zones. So this year we're conducting surveillance in three parts of the province. So in southwestern Ontario, um, essentially from London to Sarnia, in central Ontario, in the wildlife management units around Algonquin Park, so areas like Huntsville, Bancroft, and Barry's Bay, and then as well in northwestern Ontario, so um, basically from Rainy River over to Atacokan. Um, so hunters uh, can submit samples in uh, two different ways. So we'll have ministry technicians out on the landscape. Uh, they'll be visiting hunt camps. Um, so if you see one of those technicians come out and they ask for a sample, uh, we really encourage folks to, to to offer up a sample. It it won't prevent hunters from consuming the meat or, or having the head mounted. And then if if hunters uh, don't happen to encounter one of our roving crews, they can also take the head of their harvested deer and drop them off at one of our ministry freezer depots. Um, and we have those depots set up throughout the surveillance zones and they can find out more information about where those depots are and how to submit a sample uh, on our website, which is Ontario.ca slash CWD. 
And I will just say that uh, hunter participation in the surveillance program is so, so critical to our efforts to monitor for the disease. And it'll really enable us to take quick action if CWD is detected here. Um, and so uh, really want to encourage those hunters to participate. Absolutely. Can. You know, you look at look at numbers. You have, let's say you have 10 biologists out there taking samples. But if you have thousands upon thousands of hunters and every one of them submits a sample. It's make, such a great way to... It would make life a lot easier uh, for everybody, yeah, I'll tell you that right now. listening, you really, you really should uh, think about this. And, and yeah, it, it, there's going to be a certain amount of inconvenience to the hunter, right? You know That's what, what they're going to say. It's, well, it's I don't want It's their wanna... game, though. It's their, ultimately, well, yeah. it's their animal that yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're trying to save and yeah. keep, keep safe. So, Is that a possibility that if, it's, if we don't keep it in check, and I don't mean we as in folks here in Ontario, because obviously we don't have an issue yet... Uh, but as a whole, if we don't get this thing in check, is there, is there possibilities that we could lose vast herds of these wild animals? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, we haven't luckily detected it in Ontario wildlife yet, but we know it's right on our doorstep. Yeah. Um, if CWD is found in Ontario, it, it would certainly have harmful effects on wildlife and the economy. Um, we have been able to see what has happened in other jurisdictions who've, who have CWD and been dealing with CWD for many years. Uh, we know that um, government agencies spend eight times more on management uh, than those jurisdictions who have CWD versus jurisdictions that don't. We've also seen that deer populations experience significant declines. So some jurisdictions have seen 10 to 20% declines annually in their deer populations. And also, also hunter participation declines. Um, we've seen in Wisconsin, uh, a state who has, uh, you know, very high levels of CWD in their deer now. They've seen, uh, I think, a 10 or 15% decline in licensed sales as well, too. So um, it can have yeah, really serious effects on the effect. deer populations yeah. and the economy. Um, so it's really something that we, we need to be on top of. We need to be keeping a lookout for, and we need to respond really quickly and yeah. really aggressively if it, if, if it is found here in the province. I, I got one more scenario question for Larissa. Let's say, yeah. let's say a pack of wolves in a high deer, a high population of deer, they take down and eat a bunch of them. They all get together, they eat an infected deer. And then their saliva, or their poop, their pee, and everything is all over the place. And other deer are walking around that same area. Is that po- possible to get uh, contagious and other deer infected? So uh, you're referring to uh, like the urine and feces of the wolf? Yeah, right. yeah, and see the saliva, you know? Yeah, uh, theoretically, there there's been uh, no definitive research to prove that, but we certainly do have some evidence that scavengers might be able to pass these infective prions through their urine and feces. Okay. On the other hand, though, um, there has also been some really interesting research um, looking at the effects of large predators like wolves on CWD. And there's actually been shown to be some evidence that they can actually be helpful in managing CWD um, because they are more likely to, um, to take down sick animals. Right. Right. Um, that reduces potential transmission from those deer to other deer. Yeah. I'm also going to make an assumption at this point that uh, 
the declining uh, numbers in moose in this part of the country and also the um, caribou uh, herds dwindling. I'm also going to make an assumption now that CW uh, uh, chronic waste disease has nothing to do with that, right? Not, not to our knowledge. No, we certainly have tested a number of um, caribou and uh, moose in Canada for CW. Um, what we found from other jurisdictions is that although caribou and moose are susceptible to it, because of their their sort of behavioral habits, they are much less likely to get CWD. Uh, so, for example, like with moose, uh, because they are more solitary in nature, they tend not to encounter other animals as much and, and don't seem to acquire um, the disease as often as, say, much more social cervid like white-tailed deer or mule deer. Mm, okay. Wow. That's crazy what's going on out there. You know, uh, you know, other great observation I just had? How that? smart Larissa is compared to me. Oh. Because she called it urine and feces, and <laughs> I called it poop and pee. You know you. what I mean? <laughs> like, listen, I'm so simple. Like, when you think about it, like, that's about it right there. <laughs> uh, Larissa, thank you very much for uh, shedding some light on this. Like I say, it's been ongoing in my circles for about 20 years. So anytime we have any updates or information that we can uh, send out, uh, we really appreciate you reaching out and letting us know. Um, yeah. Please keep us maybe, updated. Yep. Yeah. Thank, and th- I just want to thank you as well too, for highlighting this important disease. It, it is something, uh, you know, that keeps me up at night uh, yeah. worrying about CWD. And uh, I, I think the really important part is hunters play a huge role in being able to, uh, prevent CWD from coming to the province and help us to, to help us to look for it as well too, so that if we do find it, we can act quickly. Uh, so just want to give a, a big shout out to hunters as well too for their participation in the program. Well said. Yeah. Thank you very much, and uh, we will uh, we will endeavor to get that message out continually until we get an answer to some of the questions that obviously we don't even have here today. So thank you very much. Okay. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Larissa. Larissa Nitek from the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry. Let's not forget the F. Uh, She is a science operations supervisor and supervisor on Ontario's chronic wasting disease program. CWD. That's very interesting. You know? you yeah, I freaked it. out uh, when I first heard about this. Zombie because, deer. Yeah. I think about watching these deer yeah. doing the zombie. Like you're thinking, what? Yeah. Makes sense, though, what uh, she was saying, that wolves probably take care of most of those for sure. when you think about it right yeah because they're always on the hunt yeah. and they're always looking for the weak of the herd yeah. and this animal with uh cwd definitely would, disease like that, would right? give off all yeah. the signals as being be, the weakest be, so be a better way of eliminating the disease from deer to deer versus what i said the animal uh, uh, aftermath from a wolf or something like that it'd probably be a lot less percentage of that deer getting it so yeah, yeah. they're taking care of business in nature i i like our our conspiracy theory though from way back when yeah and you yeah. know who shared that with me be was sean kelly sean it? kelly i you knew got it. it i knew it old shauner <laughs> Yeah. He was the one who, who broke that story to me. And then uh, John Winters uh, put the story together and we reached out to the MNRF and uh, and they joined us at a later date and told us, no, you fool, that's not what happened. But hey, it was a great story. Think about yeah. it. Hey, you know what? 
it could be possible. It's, it's still right? there's money on the line right there, right? Somebody yeah, was thinking yeah. money. So, uh, yeah. anyways, uh, great subject, and uh, we're going to keep an eye on it for everybody and make sure that if something breaks out, uh, we'll we'll report it on this podcast for sure. Yeah, uh, come on th- now. Yeah, thank come you, on now, Dean. thank you, uh, Dean. By the way, I, I don't know whether I mentioned or not. I think you look absolutely. Uh, stunning. Ravishing. I think you do as well. I don't know about you. Pete, but I think no. you look very nice. Yeah, Dean and I are sporting. I sporting the Dean fish in Canada. Show you know how old that? You know how old that thing is? It's not that old. This is our crew shirts. Oh, it's the crew shirts. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say I haven't seen a T-shirt with that big logo on it in a hundred years. That's right, buddy. You just stick with me. Yeah, okay. You can see it a lot more now. So Dean, as I was saying, Dean and I are sporting the. Yeah. The uh, the uh, quarter zip. Yeah. When I get a raise uh, here, we're going to be able to afford one of those things. And that's going to be. Uh, I'll, I'll if have you made maybe. any more money, the government would take so much taxes, like you would actually be minus. All right. Uh, so yeah, minus all right. <laughs> uh, that are it. Don't forget, uh, if you too want to look like uh, Dean and I. <laughs> We've got to get these on there. I think people go, will buy that shirt. Nice little you can, $20 uh, t-shirt, maybe $19.99, maybe. Or uh, that's 15, not a bad idea. Yeah. Something like that. Go to uh, uh, com. Go to the store. Store.fishingcanada.com will get you there directly. Shop. Shop. Shop dot. Dot. Come on now. Come that on too. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're having our fun. Want to thank everybody for joining us once again. On behalf of the entire crew, uh, we've had Bova there, not not on his computer or sleeping or which phone is, or, or phone. phone. Yeah, it's a bunch kinda, of bullshit. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, Nick was here, but he left. He went for poo poo again. Oh, sorry. Maybe with the uh, release, release. release uh, program. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and our producer uh, Dean with the very natly attired in his yes. new quarter Two zip. Come on now, crew. Uh, if you guys are like on each side of me, I yeah. would just be like, that would be it. Uh, I'd be chronically wasting to, in my life. <laughs> to my uh, immediate left, I was going to say right-hand man, to my left. Left-hand man. Right-hand man, left-hand to man. my left hand, uh, Mr. Peter Bowman. On behalf of all of them, I'm Angela Biola. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time. What do football, hockey players, boxers, and fishing guides have in common? A love for the outdoors. I'm Jamie Pastilli, a fishing guide with a lifetime of experience chasing down some of North America's most sought-after species with some of the world's most interesting characters. On Outdoor Journal Radio's Tackle Box podcast, I'm joined by one of those people, CFL legend Brad Sinopoli as we share stories and talk to the athletes who found their passion through hunting and fishing. World Heavyweight Champion Tyson Fury, they brought you in to spar this big animal. I had a rod, so I just randomly brought it to Colorado and got me hooked up on some beautiful fish on big rivers. It was uh, you know, some of my best memories of you know, my hockey during my hockey career. So join Jamie and I every week on the Tackle Box for a behind-the-scenes look at some of your favorite athletes and angling personalities. From hits to tangles, passes into angles, the Tackle Box has your sports and angling listening covered. Find the Tackle Box now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. How did
did a small town sheet metal mechanic come to build one of Canada's most iconic fishing lodges? I'm your host, Steve Nidswicki, and you'll find out about that and a whole lot more on the Outdoor Journal Radio Network's newest podcast, Diaries of a Lodge Owner. But this podcast will be more than that. Every week on Diaries of a Lodge Owner, I'm going to introduce you to a ton of great people, share their stories of our trials, tribulations, and inspirations. Learn and have plenty of laughs along the way. Meanwhile, we're sitting there bobbing along trying to figure out how to catch a bass. And we both decided one day we were going to be on television doing a fishing show. My hands get sore a little bit when I'm reeling in all those bass in the summertime, but that's might be for more fishing than it was punching. You so confidently you said, hey, Pat, have you ever eaten a drum? Find Diaries of a Lodge Owner now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. What brings people together more than fishing and hunting? How about food? I'm Chef Antonio Maleca, and I have spent years catering to the stars. Now, on Outdoor Journal Radio's Eat and Wild podcast, Louise, Hooksat, and I are bringing our expertise and Rolodex to our real passion, the outdoors. Each week, we're bringing you inside the boat, tree stand, or duck blind and giving you real advice that you can use to make the most out of your fishing game. You're going to flip that duck breast over once you get a nice hard sear on that breast. You don't want to sear the actual meat. And it's not just us chatting here. If you can name a celebrity, we've probably worked with them. And I think you might be surprised who likes to hunt and fish. When Kit Harrington asks me to prepare him sashimi with his bass, I couldn't say no. Whatever Taylor Sheridan wanted, I made sure I had it. Burgers, steak, anything off the barbecue. That's a true cowboy. All Jeremy Renner wanted to have was lemon ginger shots all day. Find Eating Wild now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.